Today's text is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word now, I ask that you would give us hearts desiring to hear and be refitted and changed to serve you and live on mission together. Lord, you are the one who has arrested us as we pursued our own path in life. May you be the one now who changes us and conforms us to the new mission you have set before our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. During this Discipleship 101 series, I've been putting before you a series of images. I don't know if you've been catching this, but there's been a series of images week by week. My hope had been to connect a discipleship concept that's often missed with an image that illustrates and helps it stick in your mind. Uh, Let me jog your memory for a minute and see how well or how poorly I did. Uh, If you remember, back to the beginning of this series, there was the image of the slack line. The slack line. A slack line is like an elastic tightrope. The slack line represented our subjective, God told me so, feelings and impressions. Many Christians have them, but how much should we trust them? How much do you trust yourself on a slack line? We only trust such things to the extent that the, that subjective impression is anchored to the objective truth of God's word, like a slack line attached to stone pillars. We test ourselves. Are these feelings tied to the tried and true pillars of God's unchanging word? Slack lines are exciting, but we don't want to build our life on tightropes, do we? We want to build our lives upon the rock-solid pillar of God's sufficient word, not our slackline impressions. That was one image. The next was the childhood game of connect the dots. Connect the dots. You remember this? If you remember, there, this was the way we illustrated gospel centrality. As disciples of Jesus, we're continuing to try to connect the dots in our life, to trace the line between gospel content and gospel conduct. What Jesus did for me in the gospel with how I now live for him today. Jesus was patient with with me. I see that in the gospel 
I see his patience with me. I trace the line now to my own life and how I should be patient with others. Because he was so patient with me, I am now patient with others. Discipleship 101 is a course in connecting the dots. And you never get too old for this exercise. Speaking of exercise, another image that we talked about involved muscles. In talking about functional faith, we said it wasn't enough merely to have all the right beliefs in place, like a spiritual checklist. I check it all off. I'm believing all the right things. I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. Check. Great. Checking off all the right beliefs isn't enough, though. Your doctor can check and see if you have all the muscles you're supposed to have. And you do. But that doesn't mean you're strong, does it? Now, you can look at me and tell. That doesn't mean you're strong. It's not enough to have all your muscles in the right places. You've got to exercise them. You've got to work them out in order to make them strong. It's the same with our faith. There are many truths that we know, but in our weakness, we live in functional unbelief. Like they're not true. I intellectually know that God is sovereign. He's in control. He's working all things together for my good. But I, in my daily life, I continue to worry and to stress like that is not true. So what do I do? I need to preach to my heart and work out my faith until it changes the way I function in life, until new heart responses become my new natural. And what will that look like over the course of my life? It won't look like a catapult, will it? A a spiritual catapult that shoots me up to some high spiritual plane where I struggle less and less with sin. It becomes a rare thing. No, my life will look much more like the stock market where it's two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, two steps back. That's the way to look. Life will look like a fight. That's what the scripture says. But progressively, I will be changed. I will be sanctified. Progressively, I will be made more and more, little by little, like Jesus and see more and more of my own sinfulness. Okay? How'd you do? Do you remember those images? It's okay if you didn't, uh, because none of those were really frightfully clever in the first place. In all, in all honesty, I had to look back and see what some of those were myself, and I'm the one who came up with them, so that there wasn't high expectations. But I do hope this morning that you have room for one more image in your mind, because today as we talk about missional living, I want you to picture a factory. A factory. Picture your life like a factory. All the truths that we've talked about thus far in this series on discipleship, all these truths have been like components that make up this factory. You need to have these foundations laid. You need to have these solid walls built up for the factory. You need these particular pieces of equipment in place. The factory of your life 
needs the components of scripture sufficiency and gospel centrality and functional faith and progressive sanctification and God's sovereignty. You need all these things in place in the factory, but missional living, what we're talking about today, is not one of those pieces. Instead of being a component in the factory, it is the product of the factory. This is what we are designed to do. Missional living is what the factory was designed to produce. Missional living is what the factory of our lives has been repurposed for. In the early days of the pandemic, again, my experience of the early days was in France, but in the early days of the pandemic, it became clear that the world was not producing enough PPE. Now, none of us knew what that was at that point in time, but we all know now, right? Personal protective equipment. Some of you shaking your heads now. Well, in France, it was personal protective equipment where there wasn't enough of it. Uh, So what happened all over Europe? What happened? Factories that made designer clothes, that made plastic toys, were refitted and repurposed to produce face masks and protective gear. It's the same thing that happened in World War II. Factories that once made lipstick were repurposed to make bullets and shells. This, folks, is a picture of what God is doing in us. In the great war of humanity's rebellion against God, we've switched sides. Our hearts were once enemy territory, but we've been conquered. Thank the Lord. We've been conquered. We've liberated would be a better word, wouldn't it? We've been liberated from the tyranny of our own self-destructive self-rule. King, the heaven's king has reclaimed us for his own. And in the process of doing so, he has repurposed our resources. He's repurposed our factories. He is taking factories which once naturally produce selfish living, self-centered living. That's, that's me, naturally. And he's transforming the output of our lives into missional living. Going from self-centered, self-focused living to outward-focused, missional living. God is taking human hearts, which had long been idol-producing factories producing one false god after another, God is refitting those idol-producing factories to be factories that fulfill the mission of the one true God. And that's the ultimate end product of discipleship, being repurposed by God to live on mission. Because you were made, church, you know this, you were made to live on mission with God. But what does it look like? What does it look like to live on mission, you ask? Well, we catch a very good glimpse of what it looks like in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, hopefully you still have your Bible open in front of you. In this New Testament letter, Peter writes to the church, instructing normal Christians how to live on mission in the midst of a hostile world. Sounds like something we need to hear as well. 
doesn't it? Look again with me at verses 7 through 11 of chapter 4. Peter says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God might be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When we see this passage through the lens of missional living, we're struck by one astounding thing right away. Missional living is something we do together. Together. Verse 7, we're called to prayer, not as isolated individuals, but together. Verse 8, we are called to love each other. Can't love by yourself, love each other. Verse 9, we're called to show hospitality together. Verse 10, we're called to use our gifts not for our own good, but for one another's good. Verse 11, we're called to speak the word of God to each other and serve one another. So much of the mission of Jesus that he has given to you, we simply cannot do alone. You can't do it by yourself. So much of what it means to be a Christian, you cannot be in isolation from others. So, so often we, we have this problem. We visualize mission and evangelism as something we go off from others in order to do. We leave the safety of the church to go out there and witness all on our own. And it's because of this common way of thinking that many of us and many people don't feel like they're engaged in God's mission. When we see mission and evangelism as a highly individualized endeavor that we engage in all our own, divorced from the church, we can easily feel overwhelmed and insufficient. And we can beat ourselves up for feeling that way. If I've just described you, the Bible has good news for you to hear today. God's mission is something we're to do together. Together. And this is what it looks like. It looks like prayer. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober for the purpose of prayer. Together, we as the church are an outpost of the kingdom of God that is coming. Peter wants us to know this and to act like it. And to act like this is a special season of grace. And this season is drawing to its end. God's mission is near to being finished. Therefore, verse 7 says, pray like it. Pray like that's true. 
There should be a missional edge to our times of prayer together. Because time is running out. We should feel that. Time is running out. Pray like time is running out. It's like prayer is the tip of the spear for missional living. Together, we're asking the Lord to advance his mission in Tuscaloosa, in Alberta City, and to open up gospel opportunities around us. Together, we're praying for relationships to grow with people who need more exposure to the gospel before it's too late. If you're slow to pray like this when you're all alone, there's a reason for that. Missional prayer is meant to be a community activity. It's something we do together. Something we engage in with our church family. As a church family, prayer must be at the forefront of all our missional living together. Because we find this often we have to bathe something in prayer together before we see God open the doors. We see fruit bear on the vine. So if you're feeling left out of God's mission, let me ask you this. Are you praying with others? Are you regularly praying with others? Are you praying with others for others? If not, come pray with us on a Wednesday night. Get into a life group where you're praying together with others in your church family. Find someone here you want to know better and ask them to lunch. Share what gospel opportunities you're seeing at work in your neighborhood and opportunities that you'd like to see. Maybe there's none, but you'd like to see opportunities. And then together, pray. Pray for those things. Pray over those. It's, it's not rocket science, y'all, is it? It's not rocket science. It's making our prayers about the mission. Because the mission moves forward through prayer. That's the way God's designed it. That's the way he's designed to bless his church. Another simple place to begin is making prayer a normal part of your family life. Your family life. Prayer together as a family should become as natural as talking about anything else. Something good happens, we pray and thank God. Something bad happens, we ask for his help. I'm backing up the car and I barely miss that post. I say a spontaneous prayer with my kids. Lord, thank you that I didn't just damage my, my car. Or actually the car that was given to me that already has a big dent in it. Thank you, I didn't put a second dent in it. Uh, prayer should be something very natural. Uh, we should make it a natural part of our family to pray for our neighbors, pray for our community, pray for opportunities to get to know our neighbors, to get to know them better, to share something of Christ's love with them. Praying together is a missional activity. Loving each other is also a missional activity. Look at verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Did you know 
that Jesus gave the world the right to judge whether or not we are Christians by this. He said in John 13, verse 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if what? If you have love for one another. Our love for one another is meant to show the world that we belong to Jesus, that we belong to him. Therefore, loving one another deeply, loving one another like Jesus loves us, is a huge part of missional living. It's a huge part of the mission. The world is meant to look at the church and say, see how they love one another. See how they love one another. Why? Why is that? I wonder. What makes people so different, so diverse, act like a loving family together? The only answer that makes sense is the gospel. The gospel answer. Jesus loved us so much while we were evil and ungrateful that he died for us. He rose again in order to make us part of God's family, in order to make us a family together. That's the only answer big enough to explain what's going on here. And that is also why bitterness or a lack of love kills off missional living in the church family like nothing else. You've probably seen it. You know it's that way. The church is meant to be the positive apologetic that the gospel is true and not the reason why people dismiss it. So, a big part of missional living is loving. Loving. Loving your church family. Loving them fervently from the heart like they are your family forever. Because that's exactly who they are. The person next to you is your family. Not just for a time, not just for a season, but forever. We are the family of God. So hopefully as you hear this, a resolution is growing in you to throw yourself into family life the life of the family, at every given opportunity. And the first step, if you haven't done this yet, is to become an official part of the family by joining the church. That, that process is one that we've, we've revamped now, and it involves a meal. It involves an invitation to our home because another big part of missional living is hospitality. Hospitality. Look at verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. We are called to welcome people into our lives just as Jesus welcomed us into his. We're called to be generous toward outsiders just as Jesus was generous to us while we were outsiders. We're called to treat strangers like family just as Jesus treated us like family when we were strangers to God. The early church, 
understood this. The book of Acts says that the early church was day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. What gave the early church favor with all the people? That's what it says. They had favor with all the people. What, what caused that? The answer is this. It was their gospel-motivated hospitality and their love for one another. And you can see why, can't you? People would always see them together. There they are, those Christians, sharing meals with gladness and sincere hearts. And they would say to themselves, I don't know what's causing that to happen. But that's the kind of community I've always wanted. I don't know what's making that happen, but there it is. That's what I've always wanted. I don't know if the factory is safe and sound but I can't deny the quality of the product. That's what I want. What, whatever they're believing, it's producing real community. Outsiders were first attracted to the community. They saw it. It was lovely. It was beautiful. And then as they came in, they heard the message. They heard the gospel that created that attractive community. The Bible says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As people asked, what hope makes people so hospitable? Whatever it is, I want it. I want it. Peter tells us in chapter 3, verse 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. If people aren't asking us as individuals about our hope, it's probably because they're not being exposed to our life together. They have no window into the community shaped by the gospel. They only see you as an outlier as that one strange individual that they know. But to see a room full of strange people who are all believing the same thing, loving one another, showing hospitality, welcoming as Christ has welcomed them, it's together that the church community becomes the powerful testimony that none of us can be on our own. Missional living is something we do best when we do it together. And when we do it together, we make best use of the different gifts God has given us. Look at verse 10. And each of us, as each of us has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. When the church lives on mission together, there is a place for everyone to use their gifts in advancing 
Christ's mission. Both the introvert and the extrovert have a place here. Both the eloquent and the soft-spoken. Both the people person and the person who is socially awkward. All have a place at the table. All have gifts to contribute as we live out the mission of God together. The helpful image that Paul gives is a body. You remember this? He talks about this again and again. The church is a body. We each have different parts. There's different parts of the body with different roles. The foot can't say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. I'm not needed. No, all are needed. Every part is needed. None are more important than the others. So, here is some more good news for you today. A large part of living on mission is introducing people to the life of the body. Bringing people into the life of the body. Creatively giving outsiders windows into what it looks like for Jesus to reign over a community of people. You can be part, you, can, you, you may be the part who, of the body who's just getting to know the neighbor or the coworker or the classmate. And then you introduce them to the Christian community at a birthday party or at a board game night or at an indoor tailgate in the gym or at a meal out or at a Sunday gathering like this. Perhaps it's not you, but it's another person. It's it's another church member that you introduce them to who gets that first opportunity to share the gospel with them. To speak that word that arrests them and changes their hearts. And if that's the case, praise the Lord. That's great, isn't it? It was a team effort, wasn't it? Because when we live on the mission of God together, you don't have to do it all. And that's good news. You don't have to do it all. You can be the eyes who sees people hurting and introduces them to the mouth who can better speak those words of comfort and truth. Some people in our church family will be more gifted communicators of truth than others, but we all have something to say. Look at verse 11. Whoever speaks is to do it as one speaking the very words of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? I think Paul describes it for us probably best what it looks like in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He says, if an unbeliever enters into your meeting and you all speak in tongues, you remember this? Unbeliever enters in and everyone's speaking in tongues. That person is gonna conclude, this is crazy. All these people are crazy. I'm getting out of here. But Paul says, if you're all speaking the word of God to one another, like 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us to do, then the same unbeliever will have a very different reaction. When we're all speaking the word of God to one another, then Paul says the unbeliever is convicted 
by all. And it's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring, God is certainly among you. Here is the simple takeaway for us. The church shouldn't behave in ways that unbelievers are going to look at us and think we're all crazy. Today, this also includes what you say on the internet as well, by the way. Uh, Does this make me look crazy to my non-Christian friend? Is probably a question we should ask before we click post on something. Instead of looking crazy, the church is to use the gospel word which God has given her to speak words that convict and expose the heart. You may be the one who invites a non-Christian friend to a meal with others in your church family. Nothing may even be said to them directly, but they overhear Christians applying the gospel to one another during that meal. They hear real-life concerns being shared and gospel-centered counsel being offered in return. And God uses Christians speaking God's word to one another in order to convict and draw that person to Jesus. So, we all have a part to play in living on mission together. We do it best when we do it together. And let's not forget the ultimate aim of our mission. Verse 11. Whoever speaks is to do it, speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our ultimate aim in missional living isn't being a successful evangelist with loads of fruit to show for it. The ultimate aim of missional living is bringing glory to God. Bringing glory to God. So, as we conclude, let me get really nitty-gritty and practical. What does this look like, folks? What does this look like? What What does missional living look like in everyday life? Thankfully, more good news for you. Thankfully, it doesn't look like adding a lot of new things into your already busy schedule. Doesn't look like adding a lot of new things into your already busy schedule, but it does look like doing the things you already do differently. Doing them differently. Missional living mostly consists of ordinary Christians doing very ordinary things, but doing them with gospel intentionality, doing them differently. Paul says whether you eat or you drink very ordinary, very mundane things, do it all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Missional living means engaging in daily life with God's fame, his renown, his glory in mind. Remember the big lesson from 1 Peter? Missional living is 
done best when we do it together. We pursue God's fame best, his glory best when we pursue it together. So, is there a specific place and time that you get coffee or get lunch during the week? Why not invite someone along to meet you there? And take a few minutes to talk about what God's teaching you and pray. Pray together. Pray for one another. Pray for gospel opportunities. Turn your normal coffee or lunch break into a time of gospel ministry. You're, you were already going to eat. <laughs> Engage in that time differently. Or why don't you turn your normal Sunday, Sunday morning, as we gather together as God's people, turn it into the launching pad for weekday ministry. Plan a meetup with somebody today, somebody new that's here that you just want to get to know, just want to get to know them better. And as you do, ask them, what are you reading in the Bible? How are you applying the word that you heard on Sunday? Ask them, how can I be praying for you? How can I pray for you? And guess what? You'll be doing gospel ministry as you infuse normal activities with gospel intentionality. Getting together to get to know someone a little bit better. Thinking about how I can go to the heart. How can I pray for you? How can I pray with you? What are some of the things you naturally want to do and enjoy doing that you can apply some gospel intentionality to? Why not do them as part of God's mission? Do you enjoy a good hike? Do it. Go do it. But do it this way. Organize a hike where church family can invite along their unbelieving friends. Do it together. Do you enjoy cycling? Ask a Christian and a non-Christian to form a cycling group with you. Set a goal. Train together with the intentionality of building relationships looking to engage in gospel conversations. I know, I know this from experience. You can have some good conversations on a bike with people about serious things as you're cycling along. Do you enjoy reading? Start a book club and include others from within your church family. Then start bringing some unbeliever, unbelievers into the mix, some unbelieving friends into it. This happened in our last church, and it continues to happen even as some of those people are scattered all over the world now. When you do these things, these kind of things, prayerfully, with intentionality, then guess what? It's missional living. It's gospel ministry. I enjoy playing board games. In Paris, I started a meetup group for English speakers just to play board games. And for many people, as they came... It was their very first time to ever meet a Christian, ever to interact with a Christian. And I'd often just sit back and smile as I saw people exchanging numbers and real friendships starting. And, and one of the reasons why I could smile was this, is I realized it wasn't all on my shoulders. It wasn't on my shoulders because it was something we did together. Who knows what God might be pleased to do when we, as a church, open up our lives to new people. We are all more natural evangelists when we engage in the things we love 
and introduce people to Christian community while we do things that we enjoy. That's why a lot of our new life groups are activity-based. Doing an activity that is an easy invite. Bring an unchurched, unbelieving friend into that activity and see, let them have a window into seeing how the church cares and loves for one another, loves one another. And often, better than starting something new, we start new things, but better than starting something new is finding something that already exists and get a few Christian friends to do it with you. Get a few ABC folks to do it with you and shine out like lights in that group, in that organization, in that charity, at that trivia night. Shine out like lights. It doesn't take much looking around to see that there are more opportunities out there than we have the capacity to get involved with. We don't have to find the perfectly ideal one. We just have to approach it with gospel intentionality. And, do, and we do that best when we do it together. Part of my goal as a pastor when it comes to missional living is not for you to look at me and say, wow, that's impressive. I could never do that. Instead, I want you to say, wow, that's so normal. I could definitely do that. I could call somebody up and ask them how they're doing. I could check in with a neighbor over the fence and ask them how I could pray for them. I could post less about my outrageous political opinions and more about Jesus and the beauty of the gospel. I could organize a hike. I could put together a game night. I could host a meal. I could organize a play date with the kids in the park. Ministry can look like doing a lot of very pleasant things, things that you already want to do, things that we naturally desire to do. It it can be ministry if we do them with gospel intentionality, intentionally bringing together Christians and non-Christians, intentionally bringing together church family with the unchurched, intentionally bringing the gospel to bear upon real people with real problems, intentionally giving people a window into seeing the inner workings of the factory. It's not a factory making idols like mine, they begin to see. Something's different about them. Something's different. They are captivated by a joyful purpose. What is that? I want that. The factory has been refitted and repurposed now to live on mission with God, which is what God created you to do. There are flaws there, yes, of course there are. We are sinners still. There are flaws there, but there's also a lot of grace and a lot of love for one another. I just want to be where folks love each other. That's, that's what people want. ABC, let's live on mission. Let's live on mission by leading others to find community. To find the community who intentionally seeks to make God known. Let's be that people together. Let's pray. Father, as we 
hear this challenge and hear this word. Lord, may we be more convinced than ever before that to live on mission with you, to embrace our purpose and call is a call to embrace one another, to live out this mission together. Lord, may it strike our hearts as abundantly good news this morning that we don't have to do it all, that we aren't meant to be it all, that we have our own gifts and not the gifts of another, but, we, but together we become the body. Together we do all the things Christ has called us to do. Isolated and divorced from the church, we can do very little. We wither on the vine when we are by ourselves, cut off from others. But together, together we blossom. Together we pursue the Lord. As iron sharpens iron, we sharpen one another. We can play our part. However big or small it is, we can play it and play it best together. Lord, may that resolve to throw ourselves into the life of the family grow increasingly. And may you bless us for it, Lord. May you grow us. May we see much fruit as we stay connected to Jesus and connected to one another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.